but he's excellent in all the earth. Then say amen. If he's been excellent in your house, just raise your hand and say amen. I don't care what you've been told. I can stand and declare that Jesus, our Lord, he has been, he is, and he shall always be excellence. Amen. He is, he is, he is. I promise you he is. Amen. It is, it is a, a joy to, to be here and celebrate with you. You know, every day is a day of thanksgiving. Every Sunday morning is a blessing um, because we have an opportunity to worship and be reminded of what our Lord and Savior has done for us, uh, the fact that he is risen and that uh, he is uh, here with us today, and uh, that's always something to rejoice about. But today is obviously uh, especially uh, special because we are celebrating the 153rd church anniversary for the assembly that meets at Forest Baptist Church. Let's give God another hand clap of praise for that, please. That's awesome. That's a long time frame. Uh, just just two two years after the emancipation. They didn't they didn't they didn't take long at all. Didn't waste any time, but God moved on their heart, and they began to establish a place of worship and to praise the Lord. As Nate had mentioned earlier, he and I go way back, and uh, I'm proud to call him a friend. Um, I've, I've known him and met Nate through Jamal, and Jamal and I, all, we all kind of met on the seminary campus, and um, it's been a joy to get to know him even more, and as he said, we... We often met in the rec center uh, when we were not busy in our studies, but uh, I echo the same sentiments he had had towards me. Uh, he mentioned the word trust, and you may not know it, but sometimes uh, in ministry, uh, ministry can be uh, it can be lonely at times. Uh, people don't always understand uh, what this calling is all about, but if you can find uh, at least just one friend that will. Uh, uh, stand with you, pray with you, uh, that you can trust, then the Lord has been kind. And I found that in Nate, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. So uh, I want to encourage you that uh, as God has allowed the church doors to still be open after 153 years, that you ought to also thank God for giving you a great under-shepherd. Uh, you you should, should not take it lightly. You should not take it lightly that God is giving you uh, inspirational man of integrity to lead the congregation because not every church has that. Uh, continue to pray for your pastor and continue to let him know that you appreciate him. Uh, I've, I've come with uh, my, my home team this morning, my wife Tasha and my daughter Natalie, my girls as I say. Um, so I love you and thankful to have you here. Uh, as Nate said, I am a proud descendant of Eula Mae Neal DeWalt, uh, great-grandfather was Ike Neal, proud nephew to Charlotte Green, and proud nephew to James DeWalt, and uh, Eula Mae's baby boy is here, uh, Mosey, who's my dad. Love you, sir, and happy to see you. And also, Ernest, so happy to see you as well. Um, so, I... Happy to uh, share the word of God with you this morning, but before we dive into that, let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you be with us today. Spirit of God, give us what we need. And Father, what we stand in need of is all of you. We need not what this world has to offer. We need not the resources that we reach for. But Father, what we truly need in this hour, what we need in this life, is all of you. Father, I ask that you allow us to, at this very moment, to open our ears and to open our eyes 
Father, I'm not talking about the, the eyes that have eyelids, but Father, help us to see. And Father, help us to hear what thus saith the Lord. Uh, Father, we would be ever blessed if we can just hear your voice this morning. Away from all of the noise and all of the loudness, Father. We ask that we just, above it all, that we can just hear your voice. That we can hear what it is that you have to say to us. And Father, we pray through your Holy Spirit that you give us everything that we need to not just hear, but to follow your voice. Father, if we have that, we will have everything that we need. Father, bless, bless us individually. Father, bless our marriages, bless our homes, bless our children. We live in a dark world, but we are happy to be encouraged by the light of the gospel. Father, give me strength at this moment, and I pray only your words come forth. And let us all be blessed at this hour. And it's in the matchless, mighty, and merciful name of Jesus Christ that we do pray. Let all of God's people say amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to read from the last chapter in that book, Ecclesiastes 12. And I will begin with verse 1, reading 1 through 8. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, but you can follow along with any version that you may have. Ecclesiastes 12, I will read 1 through 8, and then I will jump down to verse 13 and conclude with 14. If you are there, say amen. Remember, now the, your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down when the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of the grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. And they are afraid of height. And the terrors in the way when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails, for man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth, as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let us hear. Let us listen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord, whether it be good or evil. I just want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the subject of stay the course. Stay the course. Forest Baptist, stay the course. It is good to know the Lord. And as we look here throughout Ecclesiastes, we realize that Solomon had a relationship with the Lord. He started as a 
little boy watching his father. And he began to observe what it looked like and what it meant to become a leader. We see here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is no longer a little boy, but he has now become an old man. You know, often in life we look for direction for those who have succeeded in life. Seldom do we consider hidden nuggets of wisdom that we can find from those who have failed. Some will learn to succeed by first learning how to fail. If we also incline our attention to God, we will also, he will also speak to us through failure. We don't want to see failure in our lives, but whether we want it or not, failure seems to meet us on the road. And it's at those moments of failure when we think that God is not in the building. I imagine that through all of the fires that took place here at Forest Baptist Church, I could only imagine how the brothers and sisters may have felt after they put all of their energy and their time and their resources, those that did not have a lot of resources, put it into the church house and for it to come crumbling down. I can only imagine how they continued to worship when it seemed like they were in a season of failure. But I just want to let you know that even when we feel like we have failed, God is still He's still in the building. But this was, this, was, this was not how Solomon's journey began. He began as a young and impressionable boy. He knew absolutely nothing about the grave responsibility of leadership. He was fearful due to the call of being king at the tender age of 15 years old. No job experience, no father to hold his hand. His father, David, did not establish a 10-step program to let his son know how to lead the nation. He was not the best candidate by any means, but one thing we can say about Solomon is that he was the rightful heir. You know, in life, we may not be the person for the job, but we serve a God that is able to open doors that no man can open. And we serve a God that is able to close and shut doors that no man can shut. God will allow our gifts to make room for us, and he will put us in situations that we often never saw ourselves in. Solomon wasn't he wasn't prepared, and he was not perfect. But God saw something in Solomon. The thing that Solomon had to offer was, wasn't his appearance. It wasn't his intellect. But Solomon had faith in God. And I believe that that was really all Solomon needed was, was faith in God. And if we, if we really look at our lives, the only thing that we truly need today is faith in God. Uh, there's a lot of people in this season that are reaching for, asking for, and praying for many different things in, in our lives. But what we ought to do before we pray for resources is that we ought to stop and pray for the presence of God. If we have God's presence, we can accomplish anything. If we have the power of the, the living God living on the inside of us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. If God be with us, who can be against us? No matter how difficult things may look to us, if we can just keep our hand in the Lord's hand, it really don't matter what we have to face in life. So things are stacked up against Solomon. And Solomon, I love the fact that he paused 
and saw how things were stacked up against him, and he began to reach out towards the Lord. Things started to look, look pretty good for Solomon. Let's take a look at his resume for just a moment. He had a lot of earthly accomplishments. Based on worldly accolades, if we look at Solomon, he would be on the Mount Rushmore faith. He took the wisdom that God granted unto him, and he built an empire. Greater than Noah, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, and even greater than Joshua, and even greater than his father, David. Israel had never been so prosperous. People came not to conquer, but they came to Israel to hear and to trade with them. Solomon had acquired everything that the world had offered to him. He climbed the great ladder of success, and he reached the highest mountain. Solomon had the most prestige. He gained the most resources. Solomon was now admired by all of the surrounding nations. And you know what? He even had a large concubine and gained the attention of the women. Solomon became the man that most men dream of becoming. He is, if we look at carnal success, Solomon is the poster child for it. This, this temple that he built. You know, in Jewish culture, the temple is ex extremely important. You, you got to have a place of worship. But before this time, this was, this was by far the greatest, the greatest temple that was ever built. It was 90 feet long and, and, and 30 feet wide. It had beveled frames for the windows. It had hidden chambers and the stone was finished with quarry to eliminate noise. Wood panels, you name it, they had it. They even had cherubims in, in, the, in the center courts, and it was covered in pure gold. My man outdid himself. Solomon was bad when it came to building great edifices. But even as great as this temple was, this was not the first time that the people of God began to worship. You got to go back. Got, got to go back a little bit to the time of Moses and, and see the progression of worship. Uh, there was a progression in the building, but I must say there was a descending of worship. This was the greatest temple that was ever built. But at this time, worship was the weakest that it had ever been. And we have to be very careful in what we put our focus on. When we go back and we look at the people of God, they began to worship in tents and they, they began to do everything that they could. They didn't have much. It reminds me of, of Forest Baptist and how they worshiped on stumps and how they had one-room worship centers and, and, and small things. They didn't have much. <laughs> they, they, they had the little resources that they put together. And, and, and what, what they did have is they had faith. And they had, they had an opportunity to worship in God and, and, and just had a small area. Didn't have a lot of people, but, but had the spirit of God, right? So when we look in the text and we look in Exodus and we see God beginning to establish worship within the people, when they just had a tent, if you read unto Exodus 25, 20, 22, up in there, you'll see how God gave Moses the structure of how to establish worship and the people began to put the curtains together and they began to to erect something that they had to go into to worship on the sabbath but i must tell you worship did not start there you got to go back about five or six chapters and to see moses the bible said that moses went up on the top of the mountain moses climbed up there because he wanted to commune and have a relationship with God. And the Bible says that when Moses came down off the mountain, that he had been with God so close and so much, the Bible says that his body radiated from the presence of God. And I just want you to know that whether you are at forest, whether you are with other people, no matter where you may be, if you want to, you can always be in the presence of the true and living God. You can worship him at home. You can worship him in, uh, in your kitchen. You can begin to stomp your foot 
on your, on your doorstep, on your, on your porch, and you begin to raise hands and worship God. Worship is about being in the presence of God. And the beauty of that is, is that when you worship at home, you don't have to get into the presence of worship here at church, but you just bring that worship with you to the church house. And don't stop when you leave out these doors, but continue to worship the Lord forevermore. Worship is not a day. Worship is not a location. Worship is a lifestyle. But something happened with Solomon. Something happened with Solomon. I believe that God is doing a great thing here at Forest. But I believe that when we look at Solomon, Solomon is giving us a warning. Not just us, but the body of Christ. And he's given us a warning through his life. All the mistakes that he's made, he's trying to let us know to not go down the same road. It's equivalent to being in a sports game and, and, and you're, in, you're in a particular uh, uh, time in the game towards the end and, and the coach may say, just keep doing what you're doing. But be careful to not get off track. The first thing I want to tell you is to not become distracted. Solomon is trying to let us know that we need not to become distracted. He says, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain, the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim. It was not long, it was, it was not long before the light of the church or the temple became dark. The temple was now full of idols and false gods. We, we see in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, we see Jesus encountering the serpent. And the last temptation the serpent offered him, he took him up into a high mountain and he said, I will offer you all of the things of the world if you would just do one thing for me. And I just need you to bow down and worship me. And, and Jesus was then at that point offered a lot of the things that we are offered today. Uh, if, if we're not careful, our heart will begin to reach after and want all of the things, the shiny, the shiny things in this earth. But we all know that what glitters is not gold. Uh, it might be shiny on the outside, but full of absolutely nothing on the inside. But Jesus turned to Satan and he said, Worship God and worship him alone. In James's epistle, he says that we know that we have an enemy that is trying to stop us every step of the way. But he said that we have to do two things. You ought to jot this down if you're taking notes. He said two things. He said, I want you to resist the devil. Because we know that he has a lot of temptations he tries to throw our way, things that he tries to do to get us distracted, to get our attention off God and on other things. But the most important thing he says after that, after you resist the devil, the next thing that I need you to do is I need you to submit unto God. Resist and submit. And if we spend our time submitting unto God and focusing unto God, we don't have to worry about being distracted. The temptations may come, but I'm, I'm focused on Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm attending to my Lord and my Savior. I'm, I'm not interested in what's going on on the television. I'm not interested in what's going on outside, but, but my focus is on submitting to my Lord and Savior. Don't become distracted. But he also, I believe, is telling us not to, not to develop spiritual amnesia. Solomon was on the mountaintop, and he unfortunately had forgotten what God had done for him. Solomon's life is telling us that we ought not to develop spiritual amnesia. God has designed 
our brains to be extremely sticky. Our minds can remember vivid details that happened many, 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 many decades ago. And you know what? God has made our mind extremely complex. We have neurons in our brains, and they connect to our spinal cord, and, and they send messages throughout our bodies. And, and the scientists, they have an idea of how things work, but you know they still don't have all the answers, which lets us know how complex and how wonderful and excellent God has made our brain. But you know what? God is not made after us, but we are made after God. And you know, God, he has a great memory as well. The Bible says that we serve the omniscient God that knows all things, seen and unseen. He knows everything that has happened yesterday. He is aware of even the things that we don't know today. And the omniscient God has the ability to see everything that's going to happen in the future. Our God knows it all. But in that knowledge, he still has decided to sometimes forget. If we go into the prophet Isaiah, we realize that God said in, in the 43rd chapter, he says that he is going to blot out our transgressions. And then he said, I will remember them no more. <laughs> so it's not that God somehow lost memory or forgot or don't know something. No, no, no. Our God has been intentional to make sure that he was going to blot out and he is going to remove from his memory the transgressions that we have done, not just against each other, but the transgressions that we have done against him. Now, if God can forgive some things, then you know we have some, some ability to forgive some things. The issue with our brain is that the things that we ought to remember, we don't remember, but the things that we ought to forget, we won't forget. See, how you stepped on my shoe and how you treated me yesterday, if, if the spirit of the living God is in me and pushing me to, I ought to be like God. What did God do? He said, I know what happened, but God, the spirit is moving me to remember them no more. But what he is trying to do here in this text, he told them, remember, and he said remember multiple times, is that God is not, he's not just talking about forgetting certain things, but he said, I want you to remember some things. Now, what we have to do, he says here, he says, while the days are good, before the dark days come, remember how God has been with you. Because we may have some dark days up the road. Uh, you, you might be in a dark season right now. You may have just come out of a dark season. And you may not know, you might be on your way to a dark season tomorrow. But he's saying that we ought to keep our attention on Jesus. And what we should do with our memory, if we want to use our memory to do something, you know what we ought to do? We ought to just look back over our shoulder. And we ought to just look back over our shoulder and look at all of the wonderful things the Lord has done how he's brought us a mighty long way, how he's brought us from danger seen and unseen, how he's brought us up the mountain, and when we got down in the valley, he got down with us. When we wanted a sick bed, he came to see about us. When the refrigerator was a little, was a little empty, God brought some food to us. When we didn't know if we would get a job, God provided. God has been mighty good to us. So God is saying, look, I want you, if you're going to remember something, I need you to remember what I've done for you. I need you to remember how I've been with you when nobody else has been there. When your friends forsook you, mom and daddy couldn't been there in the midnight hour. I was there with you. Don't, don't develop spiritual amnesia. Don't, don't forget where you come from. Don't forget what I've done for you and how I've been there. He said, don't. Don't become distracted and do not, do not develop spiritual amnesia. But I believe he, he's telling us also that we ought to not waste time. When the doors, the doors are shut in the streets, 
he says, and they are afraid of height and the terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper is a burden and the desire fails. What Solomon is doing, he's given us a poetic exposition of what it's like to age. It's hard to see that in the poetic literature, but what he's saying is, is that there's going to come a time when the almond tree blossoms. When almond trees blossom, they start out one color, but when they blossom, they turn white. What the preacher is trying to get us to understand is that whether we want it to or not, gray is going to pop up on our head. Gray is going to pop up whether we want it or not. You can try to paint it. You can try to dye it. You can, you can do whatever you want to do. But once, once you get finished, that dye is going to wear off. And now you don't have two or three. Now you got six or seven popping up. <laughs> and Solomon, he felt great when he was young and running around and conquering the world. But now, now he's, he's great. And in his older age, his spiritual erosion has accelerated. Not only his aging, but his spiritual state is declining. And unfortunately, because of his leadership, the spiritual state of the nation has declined as well. Instead of being a blessing to Israel, I really believe in my heart that Solomon meant to be a blessing to the people. You remember how Solomon started off, he said... God gave him an opportunity. He said, whatever you ask of me, I will give it unto you. He said, ask me anything. He, he said, whatever it is that you desire, I will give. And I don't know about you. You know how we are as people. We are going to ask for resources. Give me, give me money. Give me a, a new car, a new job. Give me a position. Give me, give me. But Solomon at the tender age, as a teenager, he asked the question. He said, God... If you would just give me godly wisdom, he said, it'll be well with my soul. And God says, since you didn't ask for stuff, and since you asked for me and for wisdom, I'm not just going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to bless you with some other things as well. The Bible lets us know in Matthew 6, 33, that we ought to and we should seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. This was a good word for Solomon to understand. But instead, Israel is now in idol worship. And they have turned their backs on God. He says, he says, the, le- the, the window of life, it has, it has, it has narrowed to a slit. I, his joints are rigid and his movements are more calculated. Solomon is an old man, and he's looking back over his life and wondering what he could have and what he should have done. We have to make sure that we don't waste time. Because at the end of the day, we don't know how much time we have left, right? You know, as ugly as things are in our world, and especially in our city, uh, the Lord could crack open the sky tomorrow. He could do it today. We as a church body and we as a people of God, we have to make sure that we do not waste time. When, when I was a little boy, I was always looking for the sign. We, we, in, my, in my time growing up, we spent a lot of time outside playing. I know kids are not outside as much as we were back in the day, but we, we saw it as a big punishment if we could not go outside. That was the worst thing ever, to have to be in the house and the, the sunshine and you can't go outside. It, it, was, it was a punishment to have to come in to the house. But one thing we knew is that we had to make sure we got home when it was time. And often the market that we looked for was the street light coming on. And the thing is with the street light, church, is that you don't want to start making your way home when you see the light come home. But the word was is that by the time the street light comes on, 
You need to be up in this house. So you don't want to be locked out when the lights come on. So as a child, even children know that we need to be looking for signs to make sure that we make it home in due season. And church, I believe that in God telling us to, and Solomon to tell us not to waste time, we also have to look for the signs. And we have to also make sure that we don't waste time and we don't get caught being distracted and not looking. But we have to be very intentional in using our time wisely because our time really is not ours. If, if we truly belong to God, everything about us belongs to God. Uh, this is not about ownership, but this is about stewardship. The little money that I got in my pocket belongs to God. My marriage that I have with Tasha belongs to God. Uh, my baby, my, my daughter, she belongs to God. The little house that I live in belongs to God. The little, little car that I drive here and there, it belongs to God. The little money that I have in my bank account, it belongs to God. I belong to God. The, the time, the breath in my body, it belongs unto the Lord. The time that we have, don't squander it. So he says, don't waste time. But as we get down here, he says, he gives us another warning. Look at, look at verse 7. He says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. When you look at the word vanity, it, if we, if we break it down and look at the Hebrew root of it, vanity He's not saying that things are worthless, but what he's saying is, is that they are empty. Vanity in the biblical context means emptiness. Think about that. And what he's not saying, he's not saying that these items themselves are empty, but he's telling us that they produce emptiness. Think about Solomon. Anything that you could possibly want in this world, Solomon already had it. And Solomon, in his older years, he wanted us to know that, look, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen it, I've had it, and it ain't worth a hill of beans. It's not worth a hill of beans. And we, like children of God, we sometimes can have our eyes get wide as we go and pursue these things in life. When I was, when I was a little boy and a child, we, we loved to go to the candy store. And in the candy store, you can get an assortment of all kind of candies that you, that you could possibly want. You can have a dollar and come out with a whole bag of everything. You can get penny, penny candy. You can get a nickel candy and come out with all kind of snacks and and you get the candy, you come home and running with your buddies, and you can munch on the candy all day long. And you know what? What's interesting about candy? Kids love it because of how it tastes. It's got sugar and everything. It tastes great, right? But what will sneak up on you is after you consume all of the candy, you would then realize that you're still hungry. And even though you've consumed a lot of calories, you didn't have any nutrients into your body whatsoever. So even though you consume the calories, you're still realizing that I'm unfulfilled. And I believe this is, this is really what Solomon is trying to let us know. He said, I've consumed, I've grabbed with my hand, I've touched it, I've felt it, I drove it, I've got it all. But I still am empty. I started out full. Because I had Jesus, and I didn't have nothing else. <laughs> I was young, dumb, didn't know nothing, but I had the Lord. But now I put Jesus to the back. Now I got all this stuff, and I ain't got nothing. Let me say that again. I had Jesus and nothing else. I didn't have any resources. All I had was faith in the Lord. And just like the, the people that started 
Forest Baptist Church. I'm sure they felt the same way. I ain't got nothing. I don't bring anything to the party but my faith in the Lord. But I got one thing. I got Jesus. And Solomon looks up now and says, I've lost my first love. I got all these people around me celebrating me. I've got this nice edifice that is built, adorned with gold and all these wonderful things. Everybody knows my name. People come from afar to hear my wisdom. And I go back to my, I go back to my chamber. And I realize that the one that will be in the chamber with me when everybody else is gone, I don't have a relationship with him anymore. And my days are almost gone. I've had a candy life. The vegetables and the meat of life I push to the side. I've gotten old and weak. And I mourn on the inside because when people celebrate my name and they see me in public, they don't know that I'm suffering. And I've lost my relationship with God. Don't be like Solomon. And I'll, I'll say it again. I believe God is working wonderfully here at Forest Baptist Church. But maybe, maybe there's one or a few of us that God wants us to be reminded that in the pursuits of life, he wants to make sure that we do not, we don't leave this place empty. Because it's only a relationship with Jesus that is going to keep us and make us fulfilled. He gets into verse 13 and 14, and he says, he says, let us hear the conclusion. The whole conclusion of the matter. He said, I'm going to sum it up for you. Uh, I believe Solomon sums up all of the canon in these two verses. Now, I, I will advocate for us to read it from cover to cover. Because it's all good. The Bible says it's, it's all profitable because it's all inspired by God. Old Testament and New Testament. The Genesis is just as good as Revelation. The Gospels are just as good as the Epistles. You ought to get in it sometime. It, it'll bless your life. But he sums it up in these two verses. I believe Solomon, he's written, he's written three books in the Bible. He's written Song of Solomon. He's written Proverbs, which is a great book. And he's written Ecclesiastes. But I think these two verses sum up everything that he wrote in those three books. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's whole duty. This is, all, this is all God is asking us to do. He wants us to fear him and to keep his commandments. I want to pause just for a second here this word keep his commandments often when we look at that I believe some read that and believe that God is saying to us is that he is calling for us to follow and to obey his word right now I I I would be a bad Bible teacher if I said God does not want us to follow his word but I just want you to know I don't believe this is exactly what Solomon is saying here at the end of Ecclesiastes. The word keep doesn't necessarily equate to obey. The word keep equates to observe and to guard or maybe to preserve. Solomon at age 15 it don't, it, we don't have to be old. Sol Solomon had done a great job of following God through his word. But when he becomes 
51 plus, he has lost what he should have protected. If Solomon just would have maintained what he was doing, Solomon would have been able to stay on track. God wants us to follow him through his word, but God knows this, and we ought to know this too. Our righteousness is filthy rags in God's eyesight. No matter how hard we try, we are not going to make perfection. I don't know about you, but if Noah was not able to do it, if Moses was not able to do it, if Joshua was not able to do it, if David was not able to do it, Solomon would be a fool to think he's going to do better than his own daddy. He would be a fool to think that he can exceed Father Abraham. And we would be a fool if we think that we're going to have righteousness that's going to make it for us. That's not what he's pointing us to. He's not pointing us back to the law. But I believe Solomon is pointing us to what is coming up the road. And I believe Solomon is pointing us to holding on, holding fast to our faith, but knowing that the promise of the Messiah is coming up the road. He said, he said, keep, I need you to keep and guard them. Well, we have things that are valuable in life. We do everything that we can to guard them. We, we lock them up and we, we padlock the things that we love and protect. And God is saying, I need you to guard and protect my laws and my statutes. I need you to guard and protect my relationship with you. But then he says, from the, from the keeping, he says, he says, I'm going to. God is going to. He says, I'm going to bring every work into judgment. This would be bad news, church. This would be very bad news. If it all depended on our goodness. This would be the worst news ever. It would make me close my Bible in fear because I can't do it. At my very best, I can't do it. <laughs> no matter how much Bible I read, I won't be able to do it. Uh, but I do believe in progressive sanctification, though. I do believe that Jesus, through his word, is going to make us better today than what we were yesterday. Thank God I'm not where I used to be, even though I may not be where I want to be. But God ain't finished with me yet. But the Bible lets us know that he that began a good work in you, he shall continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to know that even though we're not perfect, the Messiah that we worship and serve has already made all, all things perfect. And I just stopped by to tell you this morning that God wants you, Forest Baptist Church, and the saints here at Forest to stay the course. He wants us to stay, stay the course, the body of Christ in this hour, in this season. We've got to stay the course. Don't be distracted about rumors of wars and wars. Don't be distracted by what you see on TV. We've got to stay the course. We've got to stay with the Word. We've got to read the Word more than we read the Courier Journal. We've got to stay with the Lord. We've got to follow His leadership more than we follow a politician. We've got to stay with His bride because the Lord loves His bride even though she's not pretty all the time. We've got to stay with the main thing. We can't major in minors in this season. If we do, the enemy will chew us up. But God says, Forrest, stay, stay the course. I need you, I need you to stay the course, stay with him. We, we got a lack of ju justice in this season. I know we got it. But hey, we got to stay the course. We had justice issues last, last season, last hundred years. We're going to have them as long as we are on this earth. But we got to stay the course, church. On this road of life, God only wants us to focus on the destination. The road may be bumpy, 
We may have some storms on this road. We may have some tough days and some dark days. We may have some days of sickness. We may be on the journey. We may run out of gas. We may have a flat tire, but God wants us to stay the course. Don't fret your hearts. Don't, don't, don't fret your hearts. God says, if you stay the course, he said, I promise and assure you that I will see you through. As we know, in 153 years, God is faithful. And you know what I love about our God? When we look all the way in the beginning in Genesis, the Bible says that God, he said he made, he made everything, all the contents, the seas. He made the animals, the sea animals. He made the, the greater light. He made the lesser light. Everything that we see, he made. And I love the fact that God, when he got finished making everything, he said that it was good. You know, the beauty of that is that once he got finished saying that after he made us, he didn't say it was good. Once you go into your Bible, you look and open it up, you'll realize God didn't say it was very good when he made me. He didn't say it was good when he made man. But God, he declared that he said it was very good. When God makes something, he makes it, and he does it extremely well. And Forrest, Forrest is not surviving right now. But God has allowed the assembly here at Forest Baptist Church to strive. And when God strives with an assembly, God allows it to grow spiritually, and he allows it to flourish. May God be with you, and I just want to encourage you to stay the course. God bless you.